Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. As a reminder, today's conference is being recorded, and I would now like to turn the conference over to our host, Head of Investor Relations, Mr. Frank Golden. Please go ahead. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today for our second quarter earnings call. This morning, I'm joined by CEO Steve Hasker and our CFO, Mike Eastwood, each of whom will report our results and will take your questions following our presentation. So they will also discuss our outlook for the third quarter as well as the full year, which takes into account the continued uncertainty resulting from the ongoing global COVID-19 pandemic and its evolving impact on the economy in general and on Thomson Reuters in particular. Now to enable us to get to as many questions as possible, we'd appreciate it if you would limit yourselves to one question each and a follow-up when we open the phone lines. Throughout today's presentation, when we compare period, performance period on period, we discuss revenue growth rates before currency, as well as on an organic basis, as we believe this provides the best basis to measure the underlying performance of the business. Today's presentation contains forward-looking statements. Actual results may differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties related to the COVID-19 pandemic and other, result, and other risks discussed in reports and filings that we provide from time to time to regulatory agencies. You may access these documents on our website or by contacting our Industrial Relations Department. I'd now like to turn the call over to our CEO, Steve Hasker. Steve? Thank you, Frank, and thanks to all of you for joining us today. Let me begin by expressing my appreciation to our employees for their flexibility and fortitude and their ongoing support of our customers as they continue to be highly effective with the majority of them working from home. We've actually seen an improvement in productivity and customer satisfaction. And many of our customers tell me they simply couldn't function in this environment without us. In all of my conversations, they express deep gratitude. The pressures to adopt new digital ways of working have been profound for us all. Yet we've adapted at Thomson Reuters with great speed, embracing more change these past four months than might usually take four years. I'm extremely proud of our team's performance. Let me now turn to our results for the second quarter and our outlook for the balance of the year. I'm very pleased to report that for the second quarter, we met or exceeded each of the revenue guidance metrics we provided in May. Our results reflect what I said last quarter. Thomson Reuters is very well positioned to navigate through the current environment from both an operational and financial perspective. Our business is resilient, and our focus is where it needs to be, on our customers. Revenues on both a consolidated basis and for the big three were at or above our outlook with, with few negative surprises. This performance reflects the visibility we have into our markets and our customers. And we achieved this performance despite the very challenging environment that we've all faced since March. Based on our first half performance, and the second quarter in particular, we have increasing confidence as we look to the second half of the year and to 2021. More on this in a moment. 
As expected, reported revenues were down 1%, organic revenues were down 2%, and revenues of constant currency were unchanged. Currency had about a 150 basis point or $21 million negative impact on revenue growth this quarter. Adjusted EBITDA was $479 million, up 35%, with the margin exceeding 34%. This strong growth was primarily due to the cost savings measures we implemented in late March in response to COVID-19 and to not having incurred stranded or one-time costs, as was the case in the prior year period. Michael discussed the strong EBITDA margin expansion in more detail. Adjusted EPS was $0.44 cents per share versus $0.29 cents per share a year ago. Our legal, corporate and tax and accounting segments, which make up 80% of our revenues, recorded organic revenue growth of 2%. Legal's revenues grew 3% before currency, with organic revenues up 1%. Legal's recurring revenues, 94% of total legal revenues, were up 3% organically, but growth was hampered by a 19% decline in organic transaction revenues. Westlaw Edge continues to drive sales and ended the quarter at a 42% ACV penetration level. We expect to, to achieve an ACV penetration of about 55% by year end. Our government business, which is managed in our legal segment and has annual revenues of nearly 400 million, continues to exceed expectations, growing 11% in the second quarter, and we forecast a similar performance for the second half of the year. Our corporate business had a very good quarter. Organic revenues increased 5%, and recurring revenues, which are more than 85% of the segment's total revenues, were up organically a healthy 7%. Tax and accounting's organic revenues were flat in the quarter as expected. This was primarily due to the delay in pay-per-return filings, which shifted about $6 million in revenue to the third quarter due to the US federal tax filing deadline being extended to July 15. If the $6 million of pay-per-return revenue had been recorded in the second quarter versus the third quarter, organic revenue would have been up we expect third quarter and fourth quarter organic revenue growth for the segment to rebound to 5% plus. Reuters News organic revenues were down 11% and global print organic revenues declined 17% as expected. Given our first half performance and outlook for the second half, we are reaffirming our full year 2020 guidance updated in May, and increasing free cash flow guidance to between $1 billion and $1.1 billion from $1 billion previously. We forecast revenue performance to improve in the second half for each of our businesses, which should enable us to achieve total company revenue growth between 1% and 2%, and revenue growth for the big three between 3% and 4%. We're also confident that we'll end the year at the upper end of the EBITDA margin range of between 31% and 32%. We'll continue to aggressively manage through this challenging environment, and we believe we can achieve revenue growth, strong margins, and substantial free cash flow for the full year, 
and can build on this performance in 2021, a testament to the resilience of our businesses. Before I turn it over to Mike, let me wrap up by saying I've been in my new role since mid-March, having joined on the cusp of the outbreak of COVID-19 pandemic in North America. Needless to say, it's been a bit of a trial by fire. Nevertheless, this period has afforded me the opportunity to get to know and collaborate with our business leaders, to utilize our products, and to conduct deep dives in each of our businesses. And working in a virtual environment has allowed me to speak with many of our customers on a nearly daily basis and to look at the company from an outside-in lens, which has been very instructive. The insights gained through these conversations have been very helpful in assessing our position, <coughs> designing our strategy going forward, and setting out our priorities as, as we focus on accelerating the transition from a holding company to an operating company. This transition will involve an intense focus on technology and product across the company, and the creation of products that both make our customers' lives simpler and are additive to, the, to our customer experience. To achieve this, we must make important choices on where we increase our focus and investment. Furthermore, this transition requires that we accelerate our efforts to reimagine the end-to-end -end customer experience through simplification, innovation, and enhanced product integration. Given our work thus far, I'm very confident that there are opportunities to fuel further growth and to realize substantial efficiencies. To help in this transition, we recently announced the appointment of Kirsty Roth as our Chief Operations and Technology Officer and David Wong as our Chief Product Officer. We're determined to enhance both the innovation and integration across the company, and to do so means we must attract world-class talent to drive the businesses forward. In Kirsty and David, I'm confident we have two seasoned performers who will enable us to achieve our objectives. Our opportunity is to serve customers with solutions that are more digital, virtual, real-time and automated. I'm looking forward to having more to share with you as our strategic and operating plans become more concrete over the next several months. Let me now head over to Mike to discuss our financials in further detail. Thank you, Steve, and thanks to all of you for joining us today. As a reminder, I will talk to revenue growth before currency and on an organic basis. Let me start by providing some color on the revenue performance of our big three segments. Revenue growth for the big three was up 3% for the quarter and increased 2% organically, both within the ranges we provided in the first quarter. For the quarter, legal professionals revenues increased 3% and organic revenues were up 1%. Recurring organic revenue growth of 3% was partially offset by a 19% decline in transaction revenues which I will discuss in more detail in a moment. Our government business had another strong quarter with revenue growth of 11%, and our global legal businesses grew 3%. And despite COVID-19, Westlaw Edge again contributed over 100 basis points to organic growth and maintained a healthy premium. In our corporate segment, Revenues were up 6%, including confirmation, which was acquired in July 2019, and organic revenues were up 5%, driven by our legal and tax solutions. And finally, tax and accounting revenues were down 
in part due to divesting of government business in November 2019. On an organic basis, tax and accounting professionals' revenues were flat for the quarter. This was due to a 300 basis point negative impact due to the delay in paper return filings resulting from the extension of the U.S. federal tax filing deadline to July 15. This was timing related and we saw those revenues reported in the first two weeks of July. We expect tax and accounting's revenues to rebound in the third and fourth quarters to 5% plus. Moving to Reuters news, revenues were flat in the second quarter with organic revenues down 11%, mainly due to the cancellation of in-person conferences at Reuters events due to COVID-19. This performance was slightly better than we had anticipated due to the conversion of six in-person conferences to virtual events. I will discuss this in more detail in a moment. And global print revenues declined 17% in the quarter, with organic revenues also down 17%, as expected, due to the temporary delay in shipments of content. We continue to believe we will be able to recoup most of this revenue in the second half of the year as law firms and government agencies continue to reopen and we can again ship. So on a consolidated basis, second quarter revenues were flat with organic revenues down 2%. Before turning to profitability, let's look closer at recurring and transaction revenue results for the first half. Starting on the left side, total company organic revenue for the first half of 2020 was flat as compared to 4% growth in the first half of 2019. However, organic revenues for the big three increased 3% for the first half of this year, a good performance. And as you, as you can see on the top right of the slide, the recurring revenue growth continues to be very encouraging as organic revenue for both total company and the big three grew about 4%, slightly less than last year's half-year period. The recurring revenue decline was especially evident in tax and accounting, which was partially impacted by the shift of the UltraTax state software release to Q4 2019 from Q1 2020, which we mentioned last quarter. Adjusting for the permanent UltraTax software release change, tax and accounting's recurring revenues would have been up 6% for the first half, and the big three recurring revenues would have grown 5%. Turning to the graph in the bottom right of this slide, transaction revenues were down over 1,000 basis points year over year. This was driven by the delay in four items installations in our legal segment, tax and accounting paper return filing shifting to Q3, a slowing of transaction type sales, and the cancellation of some events. We believe much of this is timing related and will be realized as companies and firms return to office. So despite the COVID-19 related disruptions, we are encouraged by our first half results especially for recurring revenues, given us confidence in the trajectory of the business. 
Similar to last quarter's call, we thought it was important to provide more granularity around our expectations for the third quarter. Starting with the total TR chart on the top left, we estimate third quarter total revenues and organic revenues will grow between 1% and 2% and will continue to be negatively affected by Reuters News and Global Print. The big three total and organic revenues are forecast to grow 3% to 4% in the third quarter. Growth will benefit from a rebound in tax and accounting revenue, partly due to a projected increase in transaction revenues of between 15% and 20% related to the shift of the paper return revenues from Q2 to Q3. Moving to Reuters News, we forecast third quarter total revenues to decline between 2% and 4%. And all Reuters events in person conferences have been postponed through Q3. This will have a nominal impact in the third quarter since few events were held during these months. The events team is aggressively working to host virtual events in the second half of the year, although this is expected to recoup only a small portion of the planned lost revenues. We continue to assess when we can resume in person events based on the local health experts' advice and feedback from our customers. And lastly, global print third quarter revenues are expected to decline between 7% and 15%. This is primarily due to an expected continuing delay in shipping some of our print materials as customers are unlikely to be at their offices to accept shipments due to the phase and pause reopening of the U.S and various other countries. We continue to believe we will be able to recoup most of this revenue in the second half of the year as the economy begins to return to normal. As a reminder, these print materials have historically been considered critical content by law firms and government agencies. We expect print revenue to decline between 7% and 11% for the full year. Turning to our profitability performance in the second quarter, adjusted EBITDA for the big three segments was $426 million, up 10% from the prior year period. And the margin was up over 300 basis points, reflecting the cost savings programs implemented late in the first quarter related to COVID-19. Legal professionals adjusted EBITDA margin in the second quarter grew 310 basis points to 40.9% compared to the prior year period due to higher revenues and COVID-19 related cost mitigation efforts. Corporate's adjusted EBITDA margin was up 500 basis points to 35.9%, mainly driven by revenue growth and COVID-19 related cost mitigation efforts. And finally, tax and accounting's adjusted EBITDA margin decreased 40 basis points at 31.9% due to the decline in revenue. Moving to Reuters News, adjusted EBITDA was 25 million, 6 million more than the prior year period, mainly due to some one-time items and currency. Global Prince adjusted EBITDA margin for the quarter 
declined by about 360 basis points due to the decline in revenues but remained strong at above 40%. And although corporate costs were only 59 million year to date, we did have some tiny benefits in the first half that are not expected to continue. Therefore, we continue to expect corporate costs to range between 140 million to 150 million for the full year. So in aggregate, reported adjusted EBITDA was 479 million, up 35%, benefiting from not having incurred stranded or one-time costs as had been the case in the prior year period, and also to our cost savings initiatives. This next slide provides a bit more color on the various factors impacting our adjusted EBITDA margin in the second quarter. As you can see, our reported 2020 second quarter adjusted EBITDA margin was 34.1%. There were several factors in the quarter that contributed to the significant increase. M&A activity and lower revenues related to COVID-19 combined for about 300 basis points negative impact on margin. However, the savings from the 100 million cost savings initiative we announced last quarter led to a 490 basis point benefit, more than offsetting the dilution from M&A and the COVID-19 impact. We are about two thirds of the way through this program and we are confident we will achieve the full 100 million savings by year end. And lastly, currency added about 70 basis points to the quarter. So on an underlying basis, excluding stranded and one-time costs in the prior year, the adjusted EBITDA margin expanded about 300 basis points, which was primarily related to the cost-saving measures as a response to COVID-19. We believe these savings will be permanent. We encourage you to focus on our adjusted EBITDA margin on an annual basis. Overall, we continue to believe we have good visibility into the levers at our disposal to achieve the upper end of our margin target of 31% to 32%. We believe we're on track to complete the savings target while still preserving the flexibility to make the necessary investments in 2020 to accelerate organic revenue growth and margin improvement in 2021. Now let me turn to our earnings per share and free cash flow performance. I will also provide an update on our capital structure. So starting with earnings per share, adjusted EPS increased by 15 cents to 44 cents per share during the second quarter. The in increase was driven by higher adjusted EBITDA partially offset by four items, an increase in depreciation and amortization, mainly related to acquisitions, new product releases, higher interest expense, largely due to lower interest income, and higher income taxes. Finally, currency had a one cent positive impact on adjusted EPS in the quarter. Let me now turn to our free cash flow performance for the first half. Our reported free cash flow was 340 million versus a negative 176 million in the prior year period, an improvement of just over 500 million. 
Consistent with previous quarters, this slide removes the distorting factors impacting free cash flow performance. Working from the bottom of the page upwards, the refinitive-related component of our free cash flow was better by $112 million from the prior year period. This was primarily due to costs incurred in 2019, including residual employee-related costs and tax expenditures related to the operations of our former F&R business. Also in the first half, we made $76 million of payments for separation costs incurred in 2019 related to our transformation program. The $76 million compares to $372 million in the prior year period for the transformation program and a pension contribution. So if you adjust for these items, comparable free cash flow from continuing operations was $381 million, $63 million better than the prior year period. This increase was primarily due to higher EBITDA and lower income taxes, slightly offset by higher CapEx and unfavorable working capital movements. As we did last quarter, we want to provide an update on our capital structure and liquidity. And as you can see on this slide, our capital structure and liquidity position remain strong. We expect to generate about $1 billion to $1.1 billion of free cash flow this year. We had over $900 million of cash on hand at June 30th. We had an undrawn $1.8 billion revolving credit facility, and we also have a $1.8 billion commercial paper program. So from a liquidity standpoint, we believe we're in a very strong position. And we remain in a very strong position from a capital structure standpoint as we are modestly leveraged with a net debt to adjusted EBITDA ratio of 1.9, comfortably below our 2.5 times internal target, and our credit facility ratio is 1.7 times, well below the credit line maximum of 4.5 times. And we have no debt maturing until 2023. I am pleased to report that in June, Moody's affirmed our credit rating and raised our outlook to stable for negative, citing the strength of our business and strong liquidity position. Let me point out that in May, we completed a five-year Canadian $1.4 billion bond offering. We swapped it into the equivalent of about $1 billion U.S. dollars. The bond carries an interest rate of 2.25%, and matures in 2025. Now, an update on our investment in Refinitiv. The agreement to sell Refinitiv to the London Stock Exchange Group is still expected to close by the end of 2020 or early in 2021. Regarding our investment stake when the proposed deal closes, our expected interest was worth about $9.1 billion pre-tax as of the market close yesterday. Our future equity interest in the LSC will represent a store value which can be monetized over time. We believe it will provide us with a significant level of financial flexibility in the foreseeable future. As a reminder, after the deal closes, we expect to receive annual dividends from the LSC estimated at 60 million per year based on the LSC's current annual dividend payout. 
Now, let me turn to our outlook for the balance of the year. As Steve mentioned, we are reaffirming our 2020 four-year outlook for both total TR and the big three. We anticipate being the upper end of the adjusted EBITDA margin guidance of 31% to 32% for total TR. Also, we are increasing our guidance for free cash flow for the full year from $1 billion to a range of $1 billion to $1.1 billion. Let me now hand it back to Frank Golden. Thanks very much, Mike. That, uh, that concludes our formal remarks and uh, recap of the quarter. And now, operator, we'd like to open the call for questions, please. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press 1 and then 0 on your telephone keypad. You may withdraw your question at any time by repeating that 1-0 command. And if you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the numbers. Once again, for questions, please press 1 and then 0 at this time. One moment, please, for the first question. Our first question will come from the line of Drew McReynolds of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, good morning. Um, just a couple of housekeeping and then a, a bigger picture for you, Steve. Uh, on the housekeeping, uh, maybe for you, Mike, can you quantify in, in the quarter the, the one-time positive impact here uh, for Reuters News? And on the free cash flow guidance, what's driving that $100 million increase? And then the bigger question here for Steve, um, obviously the, the business is tracking on a good trajectory. What, what known unknowns are, are still left out there related to COVID-19 that, uh, you know, that, that management team and the board are, are, are still wary of as, as we go into the back half of the year? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Drew. Uh, I'll start with the first two questions and then pass it to Steve. In regards to our free cash flow, uh, Drew, we've been monitoring our collections on, really on a daily, weekly basis, and we've got the benefit now of three additional months of collections since we last spoke to you on May 5. As we look at the collections from April through July, uh, each month uh, increased by roughly $25 million, which was very helpful for us. And with the benefit of the July collections that just closed, uh, we had the strongest month in the last uh, last four for us. So looking at the collections experience, Drew, in the last uh, four months, uh, plus our daily contacts with our customers and the forecast for Q3, Q4, uh, we felt confident increasing that to $1 billion to $1.1 billion. But certainly we'll continue to monitor that uh, for the rest of this year, uh, eyes wide open with that. We'll continue to support our customers as we have been in regards to payment terms. Uh, consistent with our May 5 message, we're not opening up uh, contracts for customers, but we are working with customers within reason uh, uh, in regards to uh, the payment terms. So we're confident, uh, as we sit today, Drew, on the 1 to 1.1 billion uh, free cash flow. Uh, in regards to uh, Reuters news, in regards to the EBITDA, we got about $7 million worth of one-time uh, non-recurring items, Drew, that helped us uh, in Q, uh, Q2. Andrew, uh, this is Steve. Uh, thanks for the question. W with regard to known unknowns, look, I think you know you, you, you get a sense for the resiliency of our business uh, through the Q2 results. And I think Mike and I and the team have confidence in, um, in in our forecast for the rest of the year. 
um, there aren't a lot of known unknowns in, in that. Um, you know, the big, the big three in particular, we have great visibility into, uh, into the, the sort of likely results and levels of activity. I think if there is a known unknown, it's, it's, it's sort of how much momentum we can build in 2021. Um, and we'll have more to say uh, on that, uh, you know, when we next get together and report Q3 and, and have a look into, into 2021. But I, I would say that's the, the main un, uh, known unknown <clears throat> with regard to the big three. And then, of course, um, print, uh, you know, the question is, is what happens to the, you know, any holds that are there in terms of shipments? Um, and, and Reuters, the question is, you know, how much can we transition to, 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 to digital and virtual environments in the events business? Um, but we've been conservative on both of those fronts, and, and, and uh, we think we're in a, in a reasonable position given the um, prevailing conditions. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to the line of Aravinda Galapathich with Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for uh, taking my questions. Um, I wanted to focus a little bit on the progress with Westlaw Edge. You obviously provided an update on the uh, penetration numbers. Um, in terms of the competitive impact, um, Aravinda, can we can we interrupt? Aravinda, can we interrupt you and just ask you to get a little closer to your phone? It's a little hard to hear. Will do. Can you hear me a little bit better? That's a bit better, yes. Thank you. Okay. I just wanted to focus on Westlaw Edge. Um, you provided, obviously, the penetration numbers, an update on that. I wanted to get a sense of, um, you know, the competitive environment there. Have you seen any kind of response to that from uh, the other players in terms of upgrades to their own products? And, um, you know, are you seeing sort of any kind of changeovers from your sort of lead competitors? Um, in terms of sort of uh, market share gains, et cetera. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. Thank you. Uh, sure, Evinda. I'll start and pass it to Steve. Uh, we're certainly aware of the latest competitive update that you're referring to. We remain keenly focused on, on Westlaw Edge. We think we have an incredibly strong product. We have an incredibly strong sales uh, and account management organization that's working with our customers every day. Uh, further evidence of the strength of Westlaw Edge is the performance in the month of July. Uh, very pleased to share that our sales volume and premium continued in July, very consistent with the first half um, of this year. So we, we remain quite optimistic that we'll achieve the 55% penetration uh, by year end, uh, still leaving significant runway for us here in, the, in 2021 uh, for Westlaw uh, Edge. A great leadership there from uh, Paul Fisher, Andy Martins, Mike Dane, uh, in leading Westlaw Edge from a product development uh, standpoint for us, and, and we're continuing to invest uh, in Westlaw Edge, uh, but really feeling really confident. Steve. Yeah, but the only thing I, I'd, I'd add, Aaron, there is, you know, as we see here today, we have a, a pretty significant lead, uh, and we're excited about furthering that lead by making uh, the, the next set of smart investments in and around Westlaw Edge. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to the line of Kevin McVeigh of Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Great. Thank you. Hey, um, I know it's a little early, but any thoughts as to, you know, the framework for organic growth in 2021 uh, and then just total overall? Obviously, it sounds like we should catch up on, on the, uh, the tax side, but just any thoughts as to how we think about that into 2021? 
Yeah, uh, Kevin, let me start with that uh, in regards, I think there was just one question in regards to 2021 organic growth. It was hard to hear there, Frank. Did I get that correct? Yeah, I, 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 we heard we heard the, the beginning portion of the question, Kevin, in terms of 2021 organic growth. We didn't hear the latter portion. It's it just if there's a way to maybe think about that within the context of total revenue growth. And, you know, obviously it sounds like there'll be some catch-up on the print side, um, hopefully to 2021, just any thoughts on organic growth would be helpful. Yeah, Kevin, I'll share with you the way that we're thinking about it, and it's uh, three to four big blocks. Uh, first of all, I'll start with the net sales activity. As you know, 80% of our revenue is driven by recurring. So the net sales performance that we have in Q3, Q4 uh, will be a significant indicator for us um, as we prepare for our guidance in, in February with the Q4 uh, earnings call. Uh, we have about 75% of our renewals completed thus far this year. Kevin, we have about 75% of our price lifts um, already completed. So as we go into Q3, Q4, the volume component of net sales will be a really important factor uh, for us. July uh, looks good. So that's the first area is net sales driving the recurring. Uh, as you mentioned, print uh, is a significant piece for us and as our clients not just in the law firms, but also the general counsel and government agencies return to the office. That will influence the timing of the print shipments between uh, 2020 and 2021. And then the borders events that Steve referred to earlier. We will be prepared uh, in 2021 for in-person conferences. Uh, likewise, we'll be prepared for virtual conferences or a hybrid or a combination of those. Then the last leg is the transactional revenue uh, including the Reuters events piece there um, that we have across the business, which is about 10%. So those are the four key factors, Kevin, and I think the one that I'm focused on the most is the net sales activity uh, for the big three. Super helpful. And then just any thoughts, Mike, as to just client behavior overall? I mean, it sounds like clients are in, in much better position this cycle as opposed to last, but you know, maybe just help us frame that a little bit, you know, in terms of how clients have been able to weather COVID environment as opposed to the GFC, just within the context of the business, business environment overall. Yeah. Um, so, Kevin, this is Steve. I, I have a, hey, Steve. A, the opportunity to speak with, with customers most days, and, and I think, you know, what we're seeing is, is, is a combination of two things. Firstly, they're getting on with their, with, with their work and serving their clients, and whether that's in the in the, in the legal profession or the tax and accounting profession, um, you know, uh, uh, first and second. I think clearly there's a lot of activity from, from government agencies and transition from the in, in courts and various state virtual courts and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, the, the first thing is just to focus on their work and serving their clients and getting things moving in a, in a very difficult and uncertain environment. I think the second is, you know, look, everyone's, um, looking at, at, at virus case counts and spikes in various various states and various countries, reemergence of the virus in some parts of the world, with, with a degree of, of trepidation. Um, you know, so our, our business continues to to perform as we expected, um, and uh, we, we we expect that to continue to happen. But it's not easy for our our, our customers, and I think you know we we we, we sense that. Um, our reaction to that has been unequivocal. And it's been to double and triple down on our customer service and our support. Hundreds and hundreds of our reps reach out unsolicited and offer support uh, to our customers in various forms. And whether in that 
whether that's helping the um, you know the, the court 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 case management system and moving to virtual courts, whether that's offering expertise and insights around various stimulus packages, or whether it's just going the extra mile. And, and that I think holds us in good stead, uh, come what may, as we head into the uh, uh, through the third quarter of the fourth in 2021. So, you know, we're, we're not overconfident, Kevin, but uh, so far so good. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll go next to the line of Gary Bisbee of Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, Steve, so I guess the, the first question for you, you mentioned last quarter and, and, again, a bit more detailed this quarter, this concept of transitioning from more of a holding company structure to an operating company. What, what are the sort of key uh, steps to that or advantages in that you see. And a lot of times when I've seen other companies pursue this type of thing, there's spending that happens first that delivers savings later. I guess as you think about, you know, the strategic priorities, um, is, is that something that, that could happen here? Um, thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks, 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 Gary. So, you know, if, if I just take half a step back and provide a little bit of context, I, I think, you know, what Jim and Stefan faced was a very different, um, was, a, was a very different portfolio of, of assets to the one that, that, that Mike and I have. Um, so specifically, you know, you have the financial and risk segment, and now Refinity, that, that sort of took, took a lot of the oxygen uh, in terms of time, effort, and energy, and, and, uh, and, and capital, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, we, we, we don't have that business, so we're much more focused, and we're much more focused specifically on on our big three um, on, on our big three um, uh, segments. And, and you know, as we've had a chance in this in this virtual work environment to really peel back the onion and understand what we've gotten and, and, and so forth, what we found is that the business was understandably, and I think probably correctly, manages the portfolio, targets set, um, businesses able to sort of. Uh, put, put their own products and tech stacks together, conduct their own customer service and support uh, 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 mechanisms in disparate ways. And I think we have a pretty big opportunity to look across the portfolio, look at the, the activities that are really common, if not identical, and embed best of breed next generation technologies in them and fundamentally transform the customer experience. And that's, that's the task ahead of us. And that's uh, why we've asked Kirsty Rob to join us the Chief Operations and Technology Officer. She had a lot of experience in doing that. We think it's a big opportunity. Quite what the financials look like, um, I don't know. You know, we've obviously started that process and uh, are a lot smarter today than we were um, uh, three months ago. And we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be considerably smarter in three months' time um, uh, when we have a chance to come back to you and describe a little bit more about that. Great. And, and then the follow-up, if I could, just, you know, you, you, meant, you also mentioned uh, obviously, the COVID environment is accelerating digital strategies for a lot of businesses, and you're focused on helping clients weather the challenge and remote work and everything else. Are, are there are there new product opportunities in that that are worth calling out, or or are there products within the portfolio that are seeing you know growing traction and, and you see as a real opportunity to upgrade clients and help them be productive in this environment? Any color would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean we're we're seeing we're seeing new product opportunities in, in a couple of different places. The, the the one that springs to mind um, is uh, well, the two that spring to mind are in our government se segment. So, you know the the um, uh, 
the, the capabilities that we acquired through Pondera in terms of um, in terms of poor detection around uh, entitlement programs, that's a growth area for us. Transition to virtual courts is a growth area for us, and I applaud our government team for really leaning in and supporting that process in, in a number of states. Um, so that, that's just a couple of examples. We see the same in in, in, in legal, particularly in, in sort of adoption of technology and workflow tools. And in tax and accounting, there's, there's real demand to automate non-value-added activities and allow our tax and accounting customers to focus on, on value-added for their clients. And so we're looking at this environment, Gary, and saying there's, there's more opportunity than there is anything else across our, our, our big three um, segments. And we're excited about accelerating efforts to pursue those opportunities. Thank you. We'll go next to the line of George Tong, Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi. Thanks for taking our question. This is Ryan on for George today. Uh, I, I guess I just had a question on how has the uh, the current environment impacted your ability to lean on pricing? I know you had mentioned that Westlaw Edge is still commanding a premium, but you know, have you paused price increases on contract renewals in any of the segments or offerings? Uh, Ryan, our, our pricing is very consistent in 2020 thus far with 2019. Uh, through June 30th, we have completed overall about 75% uh, of our pricing actions that we had anticipated um, at the beginning of this year. So very consistent thus far uh, with last year. And uh, George, uh, Ryan, just as a reminder, our price increases occur when the contracts come up for renewal, so they happen throughout the year. Okay, great. And then uh, to that point, so for how have the renewal rates been performing in 2Q relative to your internal expectations? And then how do you see them evolving over the quarters ahead? Uh, yes, overall for total TR, renewal rates of approximately 90% thus far in 2020, consistent with 2019. Um, our internal forecast uh, based on our pipeline reviews indicate uh, we'll see similar experience during the remainder of the year. We anticipate ending 2020 uh, with flat renewals in this year versus 2019, composite weighted average of about 90%. And Ryan, we calculate that based on uh, revenue dollars, not customers. Great, thank you. Thank you. Our next question will come from the line of Vince Valentini of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much. <clears throat> Let's uh, shift to the cost side and impressive uh, results there and getting a lot of the $100 million of cost savings already. C can you just flush out a bit um, where those savings have come from so far and how much of it is, is stuff like travel and entertainment that probably comes back at some point and then an update on how you replace those those cost savings in, in 2021 to stay at the $100 million level? Sure, uh, Vince. Uh, we have completed 67 million of the 100 million uh, through June 30th. We're very confident in completing the remainder uh, during Q3, Q4, uh, possibly going over the 100 million. The our confidence level uh, relates to the discretionary expenses. Uh, you mentioned travel, entertainment, but it also been consulting, some advisory, and we also Vince have been very tightly managing our headcount. We are making selective hires. Uh, in critical areas, areas such as go-to-market uh, resources for Brian Peccarelli's uh, segments, uh, AI, machine learning, digital, 
our illustrative areas where we are doing some selective hiring. Vince, uh, I am quite optimistic. As we go into 2021, we will sustain the $100 million in savings as we go into next year. Uh, there could be a mix change. Uh, it could be a little bit more t and &E next year than this year, but we'll be able to offset that in other areas. So very confident, Vince, uh, of sustaining that in 2021. Thanks, Mike. And can you just clarify on your free cash flow slide? There's there's a $32 million positive this quarter from the other category, which was finitive and pension stuff last year. But what would the $32 million be this year? I believe we're just pulling up that uh, slide, Vince. I think that was a non-recurring item whereby we received uh, some proceeds during Q2. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ben. Thank you. And there are no further questions in queue at this time. Okay. We, uh, it's, a, it's a light Q&A quarter, so we'll, we're happy to take that in, in, in August and let everybody get on with their holiday, if there are holidays any longer. But in any event, we'd like to thank you all for joining us today, and please feel free to follow up with myself or Megan if you uh, have any additional questions. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.